we have not done as good here as we need to do. Uh, we're going to be discussing the issue of discernment. Uh, and I'll define that for you if you don't know what discernment is. There's a passage in the Bible that I think is very helpful here. Uh, it's Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, where we're told, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And I want you to know that discernment is knowing the difference between those two things. Discernment is being able to tell the difference between good and evil, light and darkness, right and wrong, of being able to distinguish those things. And with that said, if you would stand with me, we're going to turn to our first passage for the day from the book of 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verse 1. I'll give you guys a, a minute to get over there. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. going to read verse 1 where the apostle tells us, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You may be seated. This first passage, 1 John 4, 1, uh, confronts us right out the gate with an uncomfortable reality that we all are eventually going to have to deal with, and that is the reality of false teachers. False teachers and false teaching. He tells us here to test the spirits. Uh, we're taught that true doctrine, Bible truth, God's truth, comes from the Holy Spirit. He's the one that inspired the scriptures. He's the one that helps us to understand them. Well, false doctrine also has supernatural influences behind it. Uh, Any time that somebody claims to speak in the place of God claims to be bringing the message of God, the gospel of Christ to you. This We are to test those things. We're not to just simply accept them based on somebody's word. We as the church are not to be blown about here and there by every wind of doctrine after every new fad. We're not called to just gullibly believe everything that we happen to hear in the world. There are many, many false teachers preaching false gospels out in the world to people that don't know any better. They, they prey on ignorance. They prey on people that don't know the scriptures. Uh, just a few of the false gospels that you'll run into out there, I just want to give you at least a couple of examples. The gospel of legalism. Right? That's the idea that uh, if I'm a good person, God will accept me into heaven. That's usually accompanied with the idea that basically everybody's a good person. We reserve just enough room in hell for maybe Hitler and Stalin, and, and that's, that's a false gospel. We do not do enough works that God will accept us into heaven. On the other end of that, there's the gospel of easy believism. That's the idea that every person that walks down an aisle is saved and is going to heaven. That's not true. Uh, there is commitment involved. There is following Christ. Uh, this is not something that you just uh, believe in your head one time and say one prayer and automatically you're just you're done. It's all over with. This is a whole life commitment that is the Christian faith. There's the prosperity gospel, which is the idea that when I come to faith in Christ, uh, the heavens are going to be opened up and God is just going to start 
dumping money on my head. I'm never going to be unhealthy. I'm never going to be unhappy. I'm going to have everything that I could ever want. And that's why you come to faith, right? You come to faith because of all the stuff that God's going to give you when you do come to faith. That's a false gospel. That's not the Bible's gospel. And I could go on and on and on and just bore you all to death if I really wanted to. There's, a, there's kind of no limit to the number of false teachings that are out there. Uh, in the next few passages, what we're going to be looking at is how do we discern the difference? How do you know the difference between the false teachings that are in the world and the true biblical gospel that saves us? What's important about the text that we're looking at right now is that you know and that you understand, that you accept the idea that there are false people out there. There are false teachers that are doing everything in their power to lead you astray. I don't mean to say that to scare you. I say that so that you understand the reality. Uh, there are people who are doing their absolute very best to make evil sound like good. Uh, that is their job. That's what they do from the time they wake up in the morning to the time they go to bed. There are people out there with bad motives that stand behind pulpits that are respected by many people that are only doing it for money or power or influence, whatever the case may be. Uh, those people are out there. And we must, as the Christian church, be ready to deal with those things. Scripture tells us, test all things and keep what is good. And we as God's church must be rooted in the truth. We must know the difference and we must be able to discern right from wrong. And we're going to go ahead and look at our second passage. Uh, if we'll go to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. You'll turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 15. And we have read this passage before, but it is very relevant to what we see today. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to wait, make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I, I honestly believe this is one of the most useful passages in all of Scripture. I mean, memorize it, read it, learn from it. This is something that needs to be seared into your brain. He starts out telling us about Timothy's childhood, about how he's been raised in the faith, right? He had a mother who was a believer, a grandmother who was a believer, and they passed that on to him. And we see the family's role there in preparing a child to do these sorts of things. Timothy was raised up in the faith, and because he was exposed to the Scriptures at such an early age, he became wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on in the next couple of verses to tell us many, many things about the Scriptures. And you can probably guess how important that is with this subject. But he lays out for us two main things. He tells us where the Scriptures have come from, and he tells us what they are for. And he tells us in verse 16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Okay, all Scripture. Not just part of Scripture, not John 3.16, not the Gospels, not the New Testament, the whole 66-book canon that you hold in your Bible is the inspired Word of God. The whole Bible comes from Him. He is its source. It's not just a human book 
written by human men with human ideas and philosophies and stories and that sort of thing. The Bible's source is Almighty God Himself. When this book speaks, now, I mean, not when I'm giving commentary on the book, when this book itself speaks, God is the one that is speaking. God is the one that is talking through this book. It is absolutely true. Jesus Himself tells us in John 17, Your word is truth. And he tells us exactly what this book is for in great detail. He tells us for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So you start off with doctrine, right? That's, that's teaching. The things that we believe come from the Bible. Uh, reproof is rebuking wrong behavior, wrong beliefs, uh, convicting people of sin. Correction is restoring us back to our proper place when we've fallen or stumbled. And then instruction in righteousness is uh, getting away from the negative side of things. The corrective side of things is the positive, the edifying, the building up of the believers. He tells us that this is that the man of God might be complete or perfect, right? That he lacks nothing and that he is equipped for every good work. All the demands for righteous living that we see can be met if we will follow the instructions that are given to us in the scriptures. This book right here, if you take nothing else away from this sermon, understand that this is the standard. How do you know right from wrong? How do you know good from evil? This is the book that God has given us to discern the difference right here. This is the one that teaches us everything that we need to know. It's the one that corrects us and trains us that we can be equipped. If you don't know your Bible, you need to as a believer. I know that you've heard that before. I know that might be one of the statements that you just filter out when you hear it. Now, listen to me. This is important. If you don't know your Bible as a Christian, you need to. I, I don't care what you have to do. I don't care who you have to find. You need to find some way to be acquainted with the truth of God. That is the only way, ultimately speaking, you're going to be able to discern good from evil and right from wrong. Uh, if that seems uh, impossible to you, you can take heart that God will help you. God is with you. You're not doing it alone. And, and I'm not saying that you have to uh, become an, an expert and read piles of books on every subject that could possibly come up. There's, a, there's an illustration that I really like, and I don't know if this is actually true, so if any of you are bankers or anything, don't come after me. But I like the illustration. So uh, it says that whenever we're teaching people how to spot counterfeit $100 bills, we don't teach them all of the different ways that a $100 bill can be counterfeit, all the different ways that they might look. We teach them what the correct $100 bill looks like. If you know what a correct $100 bill looks like, you now have a standard that you can look to and you can see if anything deviates from that standard, if anything is missing, if anything is in the wrong place. We can do the exact same thing with the Word of God. This is the standard. If you know this Bible, you will be able to spot false teaching when you see it. Even if you can't fully articulate everything that's wrong with it, you will know as soon as you hear it that something is wrong. I don't care if those false ideas come about marriage or Jesus or salvation or the church or the end times or morals or whatever the biblical doctrine that's being attacked may be. You will know the difference because you know the truth. 
and you'll be able to spot falsehood as a result from that. So go to the standard that God has given us. Let's use it while we have it. Now I'm going to read another verse in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. So you won't have to go very far for that one if you look just a couple verses down. 2 Timothy 4, 2, where Paul says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Okay, so in that last passage, we talked a little bit about your responsibility. You holding up your end of the bargain. I want to talk a little bit about my responsibility now. Right, the guy on the other side over here. What does Paul have to say about them? He says, preach the word. Not just a couple of verses later. He says, preach the word. Wouldn't we all be better off if we all did that? Uh, the entire word of God. The whole counsel of God. This whole book is what I'm supposed to be teaching to you every Wednesday night. What John is teaching to you every Sunday morning. All of its truth needs to be taught from the pulpit. The preacher, it says, needs to be ready in season and out of season, whether it's convenient or easy or, or he's going to receive approval for it or not, all of its truth has to be taught regardless of how it's going to be received, regardless of the culture the preacher's in, regardless of the tradition that he's in, regardless of the opinions of the other people in the congregation. Nothing should get in the way of the preacher on this side of the pulpit preaching the word of God to his people. I can't control your response to the word. But I can control whether or not I preach the word to you. And that is my responsibility. Uh, it's told uh, here in this verse, reprove and rebuke. So that, that's kind of the, the tough love side of preaching. right? That's telling people about sin. That's telling people about sin's consequences. That's informing them and attempting to convict them of sin to lead them to repentance. And then we're told to exhort with all long-suffering and teaching... Uh, and that's the positive side, that a preacher also has to be able to encourage, to build up, to comfort, to meet whatever needs are available at the time. We have to be willing to do both of those things. And we're told that we have to do this with patience. Uh, teaching the Word of God is something that uh, it doesn't happen in the blink of an eye. We all want results yesterday. I want results yesterday. Uh, I want the whole town of Salem to just erupt into revival right here in this minute. Uh, the reality is that we have to have patience. It takes work. It takes time. We have to pray that God will help us. It, it's totally legitimate for you as the congregation to know what you should expect from this side over here. Obviously, I think that you're getting it here, or I wouldn't be up here. Right? But uh, I think you're getting it here on Sunday, or I wouldn't be here on Sundays. But it is totally, you need to understand what your responsibility is. Your responsibility to understand the Word of God, to know it to the best of your ability. You also need to understand the responsibility of the person on the other side. Whether that is you're in a different church someday and you're, you're trying to select a pastor or you're trying to decide what church you're going to go to, you need to know what to expect. The preacher's job when preaching a sermon is to preach the Word of God. That is his job. That only is his job. All right, so we're going to go ahead and look at our next passage in Romans chapter 12. We're going to go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. All right, and in Romans 12, 2, the Apostle Paul tells us, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So when it comes to discernment, uh, we have to look in the right place for that discernment. Are we going to look to God or are we going to look to the world? And those two things are not compatible with each other. To have one is not to have the other. The Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Uh, being conformed to the world means for us to have uh, an outside of expression of our faith that doesn't match the inside. Right? It, it means to be doing things on the outside that don't line up with how we should be on the inside. Scripture tells us to put off our old selves, to put those things away and to put on our new selves created after the likeness of God in Ephesians 4. And that results in you being different from the world. It's inevitable. It is necessary. As a result, don't be surprised if the world hates you. That's not my teaching. That, that's straight from the Bible. Do not be surprised if the world hates you, if it rejects you. In John 15, Jesus tells us that if the apostles were of the world, the world would love them. But because they're not of the world, they're hated. Uh, is that something that you're willing to do, that you're willing to deal with? Are you willing to be hated and rejected by the world to follow Christ? If not, that's something for us to think about. Instead, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, that means that we're not just talking about altering our behavior. People get really hung up on the behavior stuff. It goes deeper than that. We're talking about changing our thinking, changing our whole outlook on everything. Uh, we're not just behaving differently. We're thinking differently. We're supposed to have minds that are completely filled, that are completely controlled and obedient to the Word of God. If you do that, Romans 12, 2 tells us that you will be able to discern. You will know what is acceptable and good and perfect will of God. You will understand how to offer your life in the service of Him. The behavior will follow if the thinking, if the renewing, if the transformation takes place. But if you're still conformed to the world, you can't do that. 1 John 5, 5.19 says, The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. But he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. He's the one that can give us victory. He's the one that can help us overcome. And he's the one that can help keep us on the right path. And with that said, we'll look at our next verse. We'll be in the Gospel of John, chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 24. And this will be Jesus speaking. He says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Uh, and just real quick, I wanted to discuss the fact that to discern well, we have to be able to judge with righteous judgment. We have to be able to judge rightly. And he's not talking about the same kind of judgment that we talk about in Matthew 7, right? The, the hypocritical, legalistic, you know, you think the, the speck and the log and the eye. You know, every time I think about it, I think about Josh up here with the two-by-four sticking out of his face. But uh, he's not talking about that sort of judgment. He's talking about discernment. He's talking about discernment between right and wrong here. Uh, he's telling us that uh, we need to understand the difference between uh, what's right and wrong as well as what's of good and what's bad. He's talking about uh, the fact that there are going to be many voices that come to preach to us or try to get our attention throughout our lives. There are many, many pastors just in this town, let alone all over this world, that would like to have you as part of their flock. 
Uh, what we have to answer is, is that the right thing to do? Uh, we have to be able to understand, are, are we going to follow people that God has called and placed into the ministry that are able to teach us the Word of God, that are shining examples of Christian maturity? Or are we going to follow people that just meet random worldly requirements that we think qualifies the person? Uh, in the Old Testament, Saul, uh, the king right before David, Saul was made king on the basis of his height and his appearance. He was taller and better looking than the other people were. That didn't turn out very well for them, did it? Well, let, let's not follow right along in their footsteps then, right? Let's judge based on godly qualifications. What does that mean? That means that uh, we shouldn't decide who we follow based on their uh, appearance. We shouldn't follow people based on how good of a speaker that they are. We shouldn't follow people on the basis of their social status or how much money they have. Those are just not God's qualifications for a minister. We should follow those who God has appointed to that office. All right, and we're going to look at the book of James. We've got two more passages we're going to look at here. James chapter 1, verse 5. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. All right, so I wanted to take our last couple of passages and talk about the importance of prayer when it comes to discernment. He tells us that if any of us lacks wisdom, this passage right here is for you. And that's in the context, the verses before, of having joy in trials. Right? John read those verses Sunday, if you guys can remember that. The verses right before this. Wisdom is what allows us to retain that joy during trials. Now, where do we go for wisdom is ultimately the question. Where do we find that at? And this passage tells us that we go to God. This very same book tells us that every good and every perfect gift comes down from above. And we usually, when we talk about that, are talking about material blessings, those sorts of things. That's true, but that's not all that he's talking about. Things like wisdom also come from above. If you don't understand uh, what to do in a certain situation, if you're going through those trials and you don't understand how you're going to make it, then God is the one that will supply the wisdom to get you through those situations. Uh, in a couple of other scriptures, we're told if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And Jesus Himself in Matthew 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Solomon in the Old Testament asked for wisdom that he would be able to lead the people of God. And we're told in that passage that that pleased the Lord. That was the kind of thing that he was looking for. Why don't we do the same thing? Why don't we go to God and seek wisdom in the same way that he did? Because James 1.5 tells us that if we do that, he will give it to us. And we'll look at our last passage for today. If you'll go to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10. And the Apostle Paul there tells us, For this reason... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, 
that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Paul has heard about the great love that the Colossians have, uh, and hearing that news provoked him to pray for them. And I think there's some things that we can learn from this. Look at what Paul prayed for, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding. Now we saw in the last verse that we should pray for ourselves. We should ask God for wisdom. But how often, if we're being absolutely honest, do you ask God to fill other people around you with spiritual understanding. Uh, I won't say that I don't, but if you're anything like me, you probably don't do it anywhere near enough. We pray for people all the time to be happy, to, to be healthy. Uh, that's great. We need to continue doing that. Uh, none of that should stop. But we should also pray that those around us grow in their faith, that they walk in God's will, that they increase in knowledge, that they're fruitful in their Christian life. If we're not careful our prayers can become a little bit almost selfish. It can become very self-centered and, and me-oriented. And, and somebody here is going to take that as me telling you not to pray for yourself. I'm not saying do not pray for yourself. I'm saying we must also pray for others, those around us. If we would pray for ourselves to have wisdom to get through a difficult situation, the person sitting right next to you right now needs those prayers just as badly as you do. Why wouldn't we offer up the same for them. So we should do what we can. Let, let us do all that we can to see each other grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of those things, one of the most important things that we can do is we can pray for each other. We can all do that. We can all ask God to fill us with spiritual knowledge. And in closing for today, I, I just want to impress on everyone the importance of godly discernment the ability that we all have to develop to discern right from wrong, to discern good from evil. This is not something that you can opt out of. right? We have to be in the Word of God. There, there's no alternative here. We must. It is a necessity. Uh, he's given us everything that we need to know. Everything we need has been given to us. But we have to take what He's given and we have to apply it. We need preachers and teachers that are willing to bring the Word of God to the people of God. That is their job. We must hold them accountable. We need uh, to stop looking at the world, attempting to conform ourselves to it. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we must pray for ourselves and we must pray for each other that God would help us, that He would give us the wisdom to know the difference and the courage to act on that wisdom. And if there's any way tonight at the end of this service that you don't know the Lord, I would ask you today, the Bible says that all who believe on Him will have eternal life. I would like to offer that opportunity to you. If there's anybody here who doesn't know for sure, if they would like somebody to pray with them, you know that I will always be here for you. You know that we will find somebody for you to talk to. Guys, Jesus Christ has come to this world. He's been born in that manger. He lived a perfect life. And he died for our sins, and hallelujah, he has been raised from the grave. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. If you will believe in him, all of your sins will be forgiven. They can be washed away today, and you can have a new start. And that's all I have for you. So if you would, bow with me, please. We're going to close out.